time for the latest in sports debate. The hottest topics, the biggest question marks, answered right now. This is The Critical Eye with Erie Sports Now's Isaac Petcash. All right, folks. Week 11 in the books. And as we have been known to know this entire season, the NFL just doesn't ever seem to want to give us clarity. And uh, clearly that's the same case this week. Welcome inside the Critical Eye podcast on a Monday, November 22nd. Isaac Petcash, Joe Lidneski, Joe Von Johnson. How are you boys doing today? Well, better than... uh... Better than Isaiah Stewart's eyebrow, but certainly uh, we've come full circle, Jovlum. We're right back to where we started. The Chiefs are the team to beat in the AFC, and everything you thought you knew, you were wrong about. Absolutely, man. What a what a change of circumstances in the AFC. It's it's all coming full circle. Teams are starting to play them way them ways into playoff position, and the Chiefs are leading the charge right now. What a what a coincidence. Very. Yeah, I very- want to know. Hang on, Isaac. I want to know how the Bills' defense used to be good, the Chiefs' defense used to suck, and now the Chiefs have played, like, amazing defense for four straight weeks, and the Bills couldn't stop, you know, the Princeton Tigers. Oh, uh, we're 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 gonna get to that. No, no, trust me, because (laughs) because there there has been some major major change uh, in just these last couple of weeks, and I'll tell you what, I am getting ready to uh, unleash on a couple of these teams here. So should be a fun episode today. But you know, guys, we're gonna start with this. I remember when I was younger, and I'm sure everybody as a, as a child growing up had the same thing. My my mom would always tell me that there are things in life that you just can't say, right? Vulgar language, making fun about somebody and their appearance, talking about, uh, you know, things that people don't like, things of that nature. So there are just things you can't say. Then there are things that she always used to tell me that you can say, but they're, they're placeholders. They're, they're things that deflect blame. You know, did you, did you do the laundry yet? Ah, I just, I got to take a nap first. I'll get that done later. Are you, you going to go to the store to get some, some, uh, some groceries. I'll probably do that tomorrow. How about mowing the lawn? Well, it looks like it could rain outside. Maybe I'll try later in the week. Things that you, you know, you have to do, you know, are inevitable, but you just say that little thing to push, push the cart down the road. And I realized this morning that there's a three word phrase that we've been using all season about the Buffalo bills that I think is kind of getting old after what I saw yesterday. And that three-word phrase is, they'll be fine. Week one against the Pittsburgh Steelers. Well, it's week one. No one pays attention to week one games anyway, right? No one pays attention. It's, you know, it's early in the season. People just starting to get revved up. And uh, you know, the Bucks got blown out in week one. It's, it's not a big deal. Week, week uh, a few weeks ago against the Tennessee Titans. Well, how can you blame the Bills defense? They ran into Derrick Henry, greatest running back in the NFL, no one stopped them. You, you can't you can't blame them. They still put up the offense 31 points in that game. It's all fine. It's all good. They'll be fine. Three weeks ago against the Jaguars. You know, every good team has a bad game. I understand that the offense couldn't get anything going, but man, the defense did look pretty good. They only gave up nine points. And, you know, again, playing down to competition, it happens, right? Mike Tomlin's teams do, do that all the time. Every single year, there's a game for every team where it's like, ah, it's a fluke game. They'll be fine. 
can we stop saying to the Buffalo Bills, they'll be fine. I watched yesterday live in person. I watched Jonathan Taylor rumble literally every single play. I think it got to a point where the Bills crowd was trying to run onto the field to become a 12th defender. I watched just Josh Allen look shaky from the outset and minus the two touchdown passes to Stephon Diggs, one which was in garbage time. He looked like a quarterback who was back in his rookie season. I watched the special teams miss two field goals and fumble a kickoff return that led to a critical touchdown late in the first half. And I watched as a supposedly inferior Indianapolis Colts team ran over the de facto favorites in the AFC at the beginning of the season. So gentlemen, here's where I start this morning. And this afternoon, Buffalo is now looking up at the New England Patriots. And I think it's time to stop saying they'll be fine. There are some holes in this team that need to be addressed. And the strengths that we thought Buffalo had have suddenly fallen short. And I think that's a big reason for concern. Yeah, I I think that the one thing that has been the biggest issue with, with the bills is the, the defense. And, and when I'm, when I mean the defense, if, if you can't win the point of attack, man, you know, you're just, you're in trouble. And obviously star, you know, star Lutelli being, uh, being out is a big deal, but you know, Ed Oliver is kind of a non-existent dude, right? Like he's not really been, the impactful type player that we thought, um, you know, Gregory Rousseau is, is a guy that, you know, is kind of underperforming. I mean, you know, these are, these are first round picks. We talk all the time about equity and, and draft capital and yada, yada, yada. I mean, if you look at that bill's defensive line, uh, I believe, I believe if I'm not mistaken, three of their four starters, our, our number one, our, our first round picks, Joe Vaughn. And, you know, as, as you see the issues with the Steelers defense stems from not having Stephon to it. I know they didn't have a, a bunch of dudes yesterday, but their D-line has been getting crushed. I thought the Bills D-line was going to be a strength. I'm not certain that's the case. I mean, they, they spent a lot of money. So you'd expect for those guys to show up and perform, but obviously, you know, there's some big issues going on in Buffalo. I mean, the phrase used to go when I was growing up as a Cowboys fan and we played the, the bills back in the nineties and they, it was always the bills were going to make it to the Super Bowl, Thurman Thomas and company. And we used to say, boy, I love losing Super Bowls was how you identify the Buffalo bills. Well, I don't know what happened to the Buffalo bills and this potent offense and, their defense only giving up 15 or less points a game and how they're going to just run through the AFC and boy, how times changed. They have changed and they've changed in a major way. And I, I'm scared as to where this Buffalo Bills team is headed. If they don't get things right immediately, they'll be looking at a first round exit in the wild card of the playoffs. And it's interesting, Jovan, you mentioned that because if the playoffs started today, Buffalo would have to travel to M&T Bank Stadium to face one of the greatest running backs in the NFL and Lamar Jackson. See what I did there. Uh, anyway, guys, you know, one of the things I found really interesting in the game game yesterday is, is Buffalo, even when Jonathan Taylor started hitting his stride, which was mid first quarter, they didn't adjust 
I, I watched and Jovan, I don't know if you or Joe saw this in the game. There was a lack of willingness by Leslie Frazier to stack the box. It would be a base nickel or dime set. You'd have four down linemen. You might put one or two extra in the box to show blitz. Indianapolis made it very clear that they were going to run the football come hell or high water in the game. Carson Wentz didn't throw the football that many times, especially in the second half. I think he only threw the ball three total times in the entire fourth quarter. He threw the ball 20 times all day. It just seemed to me like defensively, there was that lack of willingness to adjust to what the Colts were doing, even though Buffalo knew that running game was coming. Yeah, I, I was going back and forth uh, yesterday afternoon. Uh, the one thing that I don't really get, and, and I think obviously Jovan would be, would be better to speak to this, but you, know, you talk about a strength of a defense. And I, you know, I sort—I mean, you can probably argue that Boyer and, and Hyde are the best two safeties in the NFL in terms of a, a tandem, and, and the lack of adjustments. When, when you're the Bills, and you know you're getting gashed a little bit, but you're still in, in shouting distance. Don't at some point, Jovan, that doesn't the DC have to say, you know what? If we're going to lose, it's going to be because Carson Wentz is going to beat us. I don't feel as if they they ever put the onus on Wentz to beat them. I, I I think schematically, Isaac's right. Like I'm not certain they changed a whole heck of a lot. And you know, obviously, you know, Jonathan Taylor's still running. Uh, but why did they not ever make Wentz beat them? It never felt like Wentz was going to be the guy. And to me, that was an awful, awful approach. Yeah, I mean, we talked about this in, in pregame on the show, um, on the NFL End Zone show. I thought going into this game, Jonathan Taylor, the last time the Buffalo Bills gave up a 100-yard rushing game was to Derrick Henry. And then you know who's number two in rushing on the year? Well, Jonathan Taylor. So I figured that the Indianapolis coach going into the game would have to run the ball effectively in order for them to win the game. And I, I figured that they also – wouldn't rely on Carson Wentz to try to throw the ball down the field against that Buffalo Bills secondary. They would throw screens, get the ball out quick, you know, give him easy throws to make because they had to protect the football and not turn it over. And they did a hell of a job of doing so. And Jonathan Taylor ran wild as he always does against everybody in the AFC and any other team that they put up against him. But as to Joe's point, you as a defensive coordinator have to, assess what's going on why the team is where they are and what what is going on like how can you get stops because they weren't getting any stops and you have to make adjustments if you don't make adjustments then they're going to continue to run wild on you all day you needed to stack the box we talked about it you needed to stack the box to stop the run and force Carson Wentz to have to beat you with his arm they never did that and Jonathan Taylor ended the day with five touchdowns over 100 yards rushing and and probably all, almost 50 yards receiving. So that's the outcome of the game. Guys, here's what scares me about this Buffalo schedule, because we talked about <laughs> as short as two weeks ago, right? How this team was nearly unflappable. The rest of their schedule looked like a piece of cake. Everything looks like it's shaping up well. Not only is this team in second place, let me read you some of the games they have coming up. 
New Orleans on Thanksgiving Eve. Well, we all know how good the Saints running game is. And uh, oh, by the way, that's not an easy place to play down in, in Louisiana. Then you get the New England Patriots who have not only been on a tear, Mac Jones looks like a very solid rookie quarterback. Damian Harris and Ramondre Stevenson have combined for over 100 yards in each of the last five games for New England, which so happens to be their winning streak. Then you have have to play those teams twice. You have to play Tampa Bay on the road and a Carolina team who all of a sudden is coming out of the woodwork with Cam Newton. I'm not trying to say here that this team is not a playoff team. I don't know if I'm going to go that far, but, but guys, I got to be honest. This is, is, is Thursday night a make it or break it game for this team? Because I think when we look at the rest of the schedule, we know how good new England's been playing. We know that the rest of the AFC in terms of the wild card is almost a deadlock. I mean, are we getting to the point of must win territory for Buffalo? Cause I feel like we are. I, I think, I think you are in must win for morale, for the, the benefit of the way your last three, three weeks have played out. That being said, I, I think the reality is, is that it's not must win because look at the rest of the AFC. Uh, I think in-house it's must win. I think if you look at where the trajectory is, I mean, this, they, I thought, now, I think the Colts are probably better than most are giving them credit for. But I thought they really sort of stopped the bleeding with the Jets' performance. You know, the, the Jaguars, did they did they sleepwalk through? Uh, I don't know. I mean, it, I slept through some of it. That was awful. But, I mean, they got gassed yesterday. And that's – I think that they need to get the train back on the tracks – and you know, you mentioned New Orleans. Well, look at what the Eagles did. I mean, the Eagles rushed for what 255 yards on 50 carries. Uh, I mean, if Jalen Hurts can run wild on the Saints, I certainly expect Josh Allen to be able to do that. So I don't think I don't think big picture, Joe Vaughn, it's must win, but I think in-house it's must win. Yeah, they I mean, in-house is for sure must win because they need to get back on the right side of things. I think the game against New Orleans is an interesting one because I think they could go out there and steamroll New Orleans because of uh, the backup quarterback being in there and Trevor Simeon. I don't think he gets it done against the, the Bills defense, but I think those two games against the New England, the New England Patriots are, are, are going to tell a story. Uh, being a division game, being that the Bills and the Patriots have been, you know, one of, it's one of those robbery games where you, you want to win and, you, and it's, it's going to shape things out depending on who wins those games. But it's, it's a tough game to win. I mean, I think that's going to be the games that they must win. If they beat the Patriots in those two games that they have left on their schedule, they can pretty much uh, just kind of cruise through and, and, you know, win some games here and there uh, throughout the rest of the schedule. But they got to beat the Patriots. That, that's going to be the game of the, of the year for the, those guys. It's amazing how things change in just a span of a couple of weeks. We were laughing at New England at the beginning of the season. Ah, Bill Belichick, he really misses Tom Brady. One and three, New England. Now they're seven and four. Buffalo, six and four. And this team is in dire straits and needs of a win. Speaking of teams now in dire straits and needs of a win, um, I had a few heart palpitations last night. Almost had to have my wife resuscitate me a few times on Sunday night football as the Steelers fall to the LA Chargers 41-37. Gosh, you know, I, I there's a part of me 
and I'm trying not to be a homer here, guys. So, so call me down if, if, if this sounds like it. But there's a part of me that watched that game last night and was extremely fearful. The defense couldn't stop a fly on the wall. The, there are major, major holes clearly in the secondary without Joe Hayden, Mika Fitzpatrick, and even with them, the secondary has been suspect. And I don't believe in moral victories because I don't think there are such thing as moral victories. You win games based on whether you get a 1-0 in your win column or an 0-1 in your loss column. But I look at the stats from last night's game and I see this. Ben Roethlisberger goes 28 of 44 for 273 yards and three touchdowns, his best game of the day. Deontay Johnson, Mr. Drop Ball Extraordinaire, suddenly has a breakout contest. Seven receptions, 101 yards and a touchdown. Najee Harris, while he didn't get the ball that much, still plowed it into the end zone once. Probably should have had a second touchdown, if not for Matt Canada's incompetence in the second quarter. If there's any solace from this loss on Sunday night for the Steelers, it's this. I think Pittsburgh might be finding a different way to win a football game. And I'm not trying to say that if Pittsburgh has all their defensive starters in there, they win. Cause I don't necessarily know if they do, but are, are we seeing the corner being turned a little bit by Pittsburgh's offense or was this a one-off because it's, it's hard for me to decipher what last night's game was. Well, I think I'll be honest with you and maybe you're in a better mood than I am. I don't know, but uh, I, 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 my takeaway from last night is that it is officially time to chalk Devin Bush up as a bus, Joe Bond. Um, I, I understand. I understand that, you know, you, you it's not optimal to have a, a backer covering a, a running back one-on-one, but this is the NFL. And, you know, you, you look at, you look at, the and I believe they traded up to get him. I mean, Micah Parsons is probably going to win rookie of the year and maybe win defensive player of the year. I think he's going to be all pro at the very least. That's what a first round linebacker looks like. Uh, Devin Bush is not that dude. And I think is that is the one thing that we talked about and talked about and talked about, you know, this defense is defense. Um, I'm not certain that they needed anybody else other than a competent linebacker and they win that game i mean i just i did not realize you know how void he is and oh well you know before the injury he was this well you know what when i was younger i was younger i mean just because i was younger doesn't mean i'm getting any younger like why do they constantly use the injury as a point of reference for a defense it's not like we can get him uninjured and get him back to where he was before the injury yeah i mean it's always a head scratcher uh, when you draft a guy in the first round and you expect so much out of him, but he doesn't give you much at all. You know, it's a wasted draft pick, a waste of capital, a waste of money and all of the good things that go into playing in the NFL. But as a, as a linebacker, you know, you have to be able to plug holes, stop the run and then drop in coverage and cover the running back. I mean, it's not too much to ask for. And, you know, Austin Eckler, it seems like he had about three rushing touchdowns and touchdown through the air. I mean, he was, he was killing it, and that's a testament to where the linebackers were for the Steelers. I don't, I don't know um, if anybody on the Steelers' uh, uh, off, I mean, defense knew that Austin Eckler was out there on the field because he looked like he was just running through holes on his own, and nobody was there to stop him. I mean, the, the defense as a whole. I think Cam Hayward probably played one of his better games of the year 
But as a leader, you can't do it all by yourself. It takes 11 guys playing together to win. And it's hard to win in the NFL with the margin of error being so small. Uh, that secondary really was atrocious. I mean, you know, Josh Allen, I mean, not Josh Allen, but uh, Justin Herbert and company just kind of shredded them apart. I mean, Keenan Allen was having the time of his life just catching 15-yard catch. Plus 15-yard plays are, are killers when you give up big plays like that in the ball game. And the secondary just didn't live up to, you know, the expectation that they were given. And what's it, what's it tell you, though, when, you know, you score 37, you, you block a punt, you, you were the beneficiary of some, some decent calls. So there were some questionable calls, you know, all over the place. You know, how Cam Hayward wasn't ejected for, for punching Herbert and then the hit on Cam Sutton, which I thought was, was really bad. Um, but again, like there were, there, in terms of the boxes, Jovan, there were a lot of boxes you know, they had the three and out. Then they had the splash play with the punt block. I mean, they they did the things that you should win with. Yeah, was, yeah. They they definitely did. I mean, they, they, it, was a, it was a very odd situation. When they needed a play, they made it. You know, they, they got the block punt when they, needed a, when they needed a play. They got the interception when they needed a play. They got plays when they needed them but where were they when they didn't need those plays? They needed to get stops and they didn't make them. The, the Chargers were having fun throwing the football and running the football. And, and the for the offense, I feel bad for the Steelers offense because they finally came out and performed at an extremely high level and they put 37 points on the board and you still lose. You know, those one of those games where, you know, you just you just sit back and you go back and you, you reevaluate it and you just get left. Like, man, we should have won that game. The, the Steelers should have won that game. But, you know, for whatever reason, that that chemistry and that communication and lack thereof and the secondary really cost them a big one. You know, I, I put some of this blame on the coordinators. I think, number one, Keith Butler deserves a significant amount of blame because clearly that defense was not ready to go. And, if, and really, if not for Cam Hayward, that game probably is a 15 to 17-point game for the Chargers. And, and, and I think, number one, you can't, I stress this. I know the game's not determined on one play. You cannot run a corner blitz with three minutes to go in the game and leave Cam Sutton on an island with Mike Williams and Keenan Allen standing there on the far side of the field. But, you know, I also put some of this blame on Matt Canada. And here's why. I'm old enough to remember when the Steelers were winning games earlier in the season with their running game, right? Najee Harris going over 100 yards, one, sometimes two touchdowns, one through the air on occasion. How the Steelers win last year before they fell off a cliff. Well, James Conner was getting touches and he was getting yards and Ben Roethlisberger didn't have to do everything. I watched twice, twice in the red zone as Matt Canada didn't give the ball to Najee at all inside the 10-yard line, once inside the five, and one time they didn't get any points out of it. That was near the end of the half. And the other time they were bailed out by a pass interference penalty. That, to me, was a little bit borderline. Can can we we try – I mean, I think some of this blame is on Matt Canada – and, and not the sense that the Steelers didn't get any points because they had their best offensive output of the season, but you have to know situational football, right? I mean, you have to know that you drafted this running back with pick number 24 for a reason. 
So why not use him more often? That's what I don't necessarily understand, especially inside the red zone when the Chargers couldn't stop anybody save for the final drive in that game. Yeah, I, I don't understand. And by the way, uh, if you had like a $100 prop bet on Eric Ebron catching a touchdown, you, you probably just boarded your private jet that you bought this morning. So I wonder what the odds of Ebron with the touchdown catch would have been. But, you know, you talk about some of that red zone. I don't, I don't think it's limited to the red zone, Joe Vaughn. You know, we talked about in the unbeaten streak, the number of carries that Najee Harris had and the, the total run attempts. But you're losing 7-3, and then you're losing, uh, what was it, 17-10 at halftime, and you ended with 18 total rushing attempts. Gigantic issue, in my opinion. Uh, I think that the – but and this is the problem. You, you blame Matt Canada. Uh, that's – when you're Ben Roethlisberger's offensive coordinator, that's all you get is blame. Because when things go well, it's because he calls the plays. And when things go poorly, it's the offensive coordinator's fault. Because, you know, even though he had his best year as a pro with Todd Haley, he didn't like Todd Haley. He threw him under the bus at every turn. So I don't think it's fair to criticize the play calling in Matt Canada. You can criticize the play calling, but Jovan will never know who's actually calling the plays. Yeah, it, it, as a quarterback, and especially uh, at that level of prestige, the quarterback has the ability – on every given play, oftentimes the, the coordinator leans on the quarterback to make the call for the plays. Um, and then also on every given play where the, where the coordinator calls a play, the quarterback has the ability to change the play and put them in a better predicament to score points. Now, I, I don't say that Canada has all the blame because I think Ben, with his amount of experience, knows that you don't come out first and 10 from the 10 yard line or first and goal from the 10 yard line and you go five wide like in what world did that make that's not even stiller football you go ground and pound from the 10 yard line we're going to run this ball and punch it in but you go five wide you throw the ball and then you throw the ball again you know I, I don't know when what world it was been thinking that he shouldn't have audible and changed the play to a run play because you know, when you when you draft the running back in the in the first round, you know, given the circumstances around running backs and how they don't get drafted that high anymore because they feel like they're a dime a dozen. But when you spend that draft capital on a running back in the first round, then you expect to give him the ball. And for Najee Harris, we talked about this all season long. When they went on the win streak, Najee Harris had excess of 20 plus touches. And then you get go out there and get in the red zone and for whatever reason, don't give them the ball. I mean, it, it's, it's just baffling to know that, that that's how they went out in that game. It, it's ridiculous. You know, Jovan, let me ask you this. I want to pose this question to you because I don't know if you guys saw it. There was a moment in the game last night, and I believe it was on the drive that ended up being a touchdown following the block punt after that pass interference penalty gave the Steelers a new set of downs. There was a moment where the cameras caught Roethlisberger looking to the sideline and he kind of put his hands up in the air, almost as a what the heck sort of thing. And I believe it was Chris Collinsworth who said, I wonder if Ben signaled that to Matt Canada as a what the heck are we doing here? And Jovan, you, you mentioned you, you talked about how, you know, well, maybe it's possible that Ben could audible out of the play. I don't necessarily know if he has that ability. 
if, if you look at the history through the Steelers offense, clearly with the Bruce Arian and the Ken Wisenhunt era for Pittsburgh, Ben Roethlisberger had that ability, right? You hear, you heard him audibling the plays. He, he essentially would run around for his life and throw, throw bombs down the field for his first 10 years. But when we got to the Todd Haley era, there was a lot of talk about how Ben wasn't going to be able to have as much freedom with the plays, right? Todd Haley was brought in to protect Ben, to keep, keep his longevity going. And now with Matt Canada in there, I don't necessarily know if Ben is being given the freedom to change the play, even as a 39-year-old veteran, than he had before. Because that look to the sideline, I don't think that happens if Ben sees the ability to run the football and he can change the play. I don't, that's just the way I see it. I don't know what you guys think of on that. I, I'm, I'm going to say this. I, I'm, ben Roethlisberger has been in the, the NFL for excess of 15 years. I, I believe about 18, right? For as long as I can remember. I played against him in college in 2004, and that was his last college football season. So he's been in the NFL for a very long time. I don't care who the coordinator is, as the quarterback of an NFL franchise, if they call a play, you have the ability to audible that play, no matter who's the offensive coordinator, especially when you have that type of tenure. So to think that Ben didn't or, you know, he might have been upset with the call, but he stuck with the call for whatever reason. He should have, in my honest opinion, audible the play to a better play. That's what quarterbacks get paid to do. And it doesn't matter who the offensive coordinator is. They, the quarterback is expected to get the offense out of a tough situation and put them in a better predicament to score points. And they didn't do it. Listen, Isaac, I can tell you this right now. I mean, the, the willingness and the frequency of calling out his offensive coordinator, think back to Todd Haley. And, and by the way, he was having marvelous success under Todd Haley. If you think for an instant that Matt Canada has come in and changed that cat stripes, you're nuts. He is not. I promise you. I promise you. When Matt Canada makes a decision about a play call, it's because Roethlisberger signs off on it, not the other way around. I don't know if I agree with that at all. I, I don't. Do, do, do you see the critical plays that Pittsburgh runs, especially in the last two years? It's the, it is the same as Todd Haley-esque. You, and again, there, there's a reason why the Steelers in my book did not go external to hire an offensive coordinator, right? Matt Canada coming in as the quarterback's coach. He'd worked with Ben Roethlisberger, easily promotable. You look at their short yarded situations. I, I give two examples with this red zone and short yards. Short yarded situation, they're not handing the ball off on third and one. They're not handing it off on fourth and one. We Everyone got so mad in Pittsburgh with Todd Haley because he would run jet sweeps or he'd run deep passes or fade routes on third and fourth and shorts, and that would kill Pittsburgh offensively. You're not seeing a change with that. A and I would think that if Ben had more say, you would see a change with that. I also make the point in the red zone. I go back to this again. You have Najee Harris sitting there in the backfield. And I'm not saying that Ben is not a selfish quarterback because I do think he tries to throw the ball too much. And I do think there are times where he's overzealous and aggressive. But you can't tell me that Roethlisberger, as a, as a significant veteran that he is, does not look at that line, does not look at that situation in the third quarter and say to himself, I got to audible this play. There's no way. No way. I'm sorry. Well, maybe he's, you know, as Jovan alluded to, 
you know, Roethlisberger has been there a long time. And the one thing that he has noticed, and, you know, obviously that's a brand new offensive line and they don't, they don't, they do not get the push that, you know, the Jerome Bettis and the Willie Parkers uh, of the world enjoyed at the beginning of his career. And uh, again, I, Roethlisberger has, you know, carte blanche to do what he wants on the offensive side of the ball. We've seen that track record, but I think it's, I think we're mistaken. I mean, they have had success running the ball in recent weeks, but if, if you, if push comes to shove Joe on and you need four and a half, five feet, and you're the Steelers with that offensive line, even though it's not been great, I think Ben Roethlisberger throwing the ball is a better option. They just don't beat you up at the point of attack. Like I think you know, when they, when people say the, the cliche things like this is Steeler football, Steeler football has not been played in a decade. Hold, hold on, Joe, Joe, did you just say you trust this Ben Roethlisberger to complete a pass and you do Najee Harris to go in for a yard? It has nothing to do with Najee Harris. It has nothing to do with Najee Harris. It has everything to do with the guys that are up front. I mean, you look at that, maybe someday Kendrick Green. But, I mean, you look at how many guys they've let go. I mean, Matt Filer starts for the Chargers. He could start for the Steelers. The Steelers' offensive line is not good. It is not good. And we live in this past where it's the Steeler way and Steeler football. It's been a long time. It's been a long time, Joe Vaughn, that the Steelers have just lined up and ran it down somebody's throat for an entire game. It's been a long time. Yeah, they, they haven't had the ability, not this year, with the makeshift of offensive line to just run the ball down people's throats. But they've had success throughout the last three to four weeks of running the football, which I thought their offensive line was starting to get better. They were starting to gel. They were starting to get some push up front, some movement up front. And that Najee Harris was running behind his pads to get a yard if he needed it. I think they would have been they would have been to their benefit to hand the ball off in third and one, fourth and inches situations. I think Najee Harris has enough willpower to get them a yard if he if they want it. Yeah, I mean, it's just crazy to think that there is so much debacle over what to me seems like such an easy situation here for Pittsburgh. Uh, guys, we got a few minutes left in the show. Not long. I want to touch quickly on the Browns. Is there any room for concern for you guys with, with Baker Mayfield after after yesterday's game and the game that he got injured yet again? Seems like don't pay him. Don't pay him. Yeah, thank, he's thank not, you. He's not. Thank he's not. He's he's not. He's not the answer to the Browns winning a Super Bowl. He's not going to get it done. I mean. It, that you go out there, and I'm sure he watched the game that the Lions had against the the Steelers, and you go out there and, and you don't do any better against a backup quarterback of that. If Jared Goff had played in that game, I think the Lions might have won, to be honest. So it, it, it's scary to know where – and where did the Lions – I mean, the uh, Browns' rush defense go? Like, my goodness. Uh, DeAndre Swift had a, had a great day against them as well as the Steelers. So – you know, I, I mean, either the Detroit Lions offensive line is playing outstanding and TJ Hawkinson is making plays no matter who's behind the center. But, I mean, I don't know what happened to this deep, uh, this Cleveland Browns uh, offensive team and their defense with all this capital and draft picks. I don't know what happened to these guys because 
they're not showing up to play. I don't know if it's because they don't believe, but I know Jarvis Landry uh, made the comment that, you know, he needs to get the football. So now who's the, the case is, was it Odell Beckham or now is it Jarvis Landry? Because something's not going right in Cleveland and it's, and it's becoming a problem. Well, here's my question. I, I, I watched the game and I just couldn't imagine being Kevin Stefanski standing on that sideline, being in charge, periodically glancing over at Case Keenum and then thinking to yourself that that version of Baker Mayfield gives us the best opportunity to win. I don't understand what, I mean, you paid Keenum $7 million to be your backup quarterback. And, you know, I, I, not that I don't disagree or not that I don't agree with Jovan and not being willing to pay uh, Baker Mayfield. But in the last couple of weeks, I mean, Case Keenum is a competent quarterback. Why in the world are they not making the switch, especially yesterday? That, I, they deserve to lose that game based on competence of, of Kevin Stefanski. And everybody loved Kevin Stefanski last year. Uh, I think I think the uh, the bloom's falling off the rose here a little bit with uh, with Stefanski. I don't understand why or, or how he could be convinced that yesterday's version of Baker Mayfield gave them the best opportunity to win. I think it's as we wrap this up, guys, I really think it goes back to stubbornness. I think you're seeing a team that believes that they are going to run with what they got because it got them there last year. And at this point in the game, six and five, I know you won yesterday. I'll tell you what, this team is in dire straits because if not for the running game, they are probably a two or three win team. All right, guys, good show today. Really good show. Uh, Overreaction Mondays are fun. Let's do it again on Friday. You boys have a safe and happy Thanksgiving, and we will get ready for week 12 in a few days. All righty. All right. Thanks, Isaac. All right, gentlemen, that's Critical Eye Podcast for this Monday. We hope you enjoy the rest of your week. Happy Thanksgiving. We'll see you all on Friday. Have a good one.